Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Just 12 days away from opening kickoff at Autzen Stadium, Oregon, Fresno State, Labor Day weekend, sunny skies, and hopefully a packed Autzen Stadium. That will certainly be a welcome sight after all that we've been through over the past year. And to get that started, I want to welcome you into the initial episode here of the Believe in Oregon Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Joel Gunderson, and I'll be your host going forward every Monday and Thursday right here, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, just a little bit about myself before we get right into our first guest, writer and reporter for ScoopDuck.com. I've been covering the Oregon football program off and on for God, a good 15 years now through various websites such as The Athletic, Sports Illustrated, the San Jose Mercury News even called me up one day and wanted me to cover an Oregon-Stanford game out of the blue. So covered him from both sides, covered him both as a, as a fan, as a reporter, as a covering the other team, had all sorts of perspectives and lived in Oregon my entire life, been a fan my entire life, but I'm going to try to do my best to separate out the fandom here on the podcast and give you a real honest report on what's going on inside the program. As I mentioned, every Monday and Thursday right here, Hopefully, as soon as you wake up those mornings, the podcast will be ready to go. And my goal every episode is to bring you an interesting guest for that week, relevant to that week, perhaps a former player that has an interesting perspective that week. I'm even going to reach out to parents of current players. They always got good stories for what's going on inside the program. So really try to aim to be uh, you know, just your, your one-stop shop for all Oregon football going forward. And it's going to be an interesting season, so I think we're going to have a lot to talk about as as the season rolls on, obviously new quarterback that we're going to have to discuss, be it the senior Anthony Brown, or perhaps it's one of those upcoming freshmen that are ready to to take the reins. How's that offensive line going to look? They struggled a bit in 2020. They had their ups and downs, obviously replacing all five starters from the previous season. We had to expect that a little bit, but heading into this year, it's got to come together for this program. This is Mario's baby. He is an offensive line guy, as we know. Their talent is there whether or not they're going to be able to actually perform up to his level, that's yet to be seen, but that's going to be a real big interesting factor. Then you can't overlook the defense, obviously. Three five-stars starting from day one. We all know that. And Kayvon Thibodeau, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, potentially a fourth five-star as well if Dante Manning lines up, locks down that other cornerback position opposite Mikel Wright. Lots of new interesting storylines, 
Tim DeRuiter is the defensive coordinator. How's he going to integrate into the system? Joe Moorhead's second year, technically, yes, but really his first year running the ship on offense. And you know, he came as, as one of the more highly regarded coordinators that Oregon's ever brought in. Really didn't get a chance to see his system come to fruition last year because of everything that happened. So really, when Oregon kicks off September 4th, this is going to be the first chance we've had to see what he can do. I have to say that he probably has more talent to work with here at Oregon. What he's able to do with that talent is going to be one of the bigger storylines as we head into the season. And I can think of no better way to do it, to get this episode started, get the show started in general, than to bring in one of the more connected people in the Oregon program. You know him from ScoopDuck.com, where he currently resides as, as the the head honcho covered recruiting for ESPN, 247, everywhere you could have think of in the past. He's been there, and now he's on the show today as a special guest and, and, and my boss, so let's be nice to him a little bit. Justin Hopkins. Justin, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today and uh, to be the first guest on the show here. I know it's an honor for you, clearly. it's uh, You jumped at the chance to, to come on as soon as I asked you, but uh, wanted to have you on to talk, uh, you know, get at your expertise and, and talk to you about all things Duck. And, you know, looking back now, you started Scoop Duck uh, in 2016, which was right when the Helfrich era was coming to an end and the transition to a new coach was beginning. What was that like for you as you're beginning your business and your thoughts on where the program was headed? Because clearly, their success has a big impact on what your business is. So when you were going through all that and watching Rob Mullins decide to make that change from Mark Helfrich, essentially ending a long-running, almost 30-year regime of Oregon guys inside the building, what were you looking at it more from a fearful side or was there optimism? Or how did that entire time frame look for you? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people and I, and I, uh, just with the way I am, I'm not applying this to football only. I'm kind of one of those people that fear change. You know, I, I feel like the, in, in today's world, everybody's ready for change and, and, and we're firing coaches after, you know, such a short span. And, but in particular with Mark Helfrich, who I do believe is a very, uh, stand-up individual, nice guy. I know a lot of people love him. Um, he's got some great, uh, connections, uh, and friendships around the area. You know, I, I just think that it was a little bit out of his element as being a head coach. I think, I think him running an offense, he's put perfectly capable of, I think him coaching quarterbacks, he's more than capable of, I think he's got some real, uh, real strengths in the football world being a head coach. I just did, didn't think suited him. Um, and just with the way I followed the program and, and those that had been there for, for, you know, you mentioned that 30 years of kind of continuity, you know, there was a lot of coaches that had been there, uh, you know, through most of that continuity, if not all of it. And, you know, you know, I could sense there was concerns there. And, um, you know, I, I think obviously, as we've seen now hindsight, it takes a special individual to run a college football program. It's more than just you know, being able to recruit a little bit and throw some X's and O's on a board and and call a decent game. I mean, there's so much more that goes into building a program, uh, as you know. I believe Mario Cristobal has taught us. My initial reaction to your question is, I felt that it was a good change to move on from Mark Helfrich when it became clear that it was going to be Willie Taggart or it was Willie Taggart. Of course, I was nervous just like everybody else, but I think to answer that part of the question, to say uh, 
you know, did Oregon need to move on? Uh, I, I believe they 100% did. I, I think that I think that the the evolution of football had caught up and surpassed Oregon. And uh, you know, this in my mind, Oregon. I love the school. I know Phil Knight's got a lot of money, but this is a school that couldn't allow itself to fall too far behind because I'm not sure they would have been able to catch back up. You've covered recruiting now for a long time through different regimes. I mean, Mike Bellotti, Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich, Willie Taggart for the time he was here. Obviously, Mario is a is a different animal when it comes to that recruiting, and that that's his that's his baby, that's his life form. So, aside from his relentless attitude towards it, which you know is very well known, they talk about it a lot. All the coaches talk about Mario's unrelenting drive to to recruit twenty four seven. What's something to you that he does that you've seen differently, not only from previous Oregon coaches, but maybe from other coaches around the country as well? What separates Mario? Like one thing that you can pick out that he does that just makes him different. Yeah, you know, I I do. I will say that, you know, I will say this to start. Relentless list is number one. I mean, it's it's that is the DNA of Mario Cristobal. He doesn't know another way. And I think that that's the biggest catalyst. But number two is he's invested in recruiting. And and I don't mean just him and, and, and recruiting himself, which he does. He's invested in recruiting with his program. He is mandating that to his coaches. He is building out a recruiting department, you know, bigger than we've ever seen at Oregon. I, you know, he's, he's, he's bringing in the resources. Um, and I, and I think that's important, you know, because you, you know, really, uh, you know, the, the game has changed. As I said, you've got to have, uh, you know, photo and video guys in there that are making edits and stuff constantly. And let's be real, if Chip Kelly was around, I'm not sure we'd see anything like that. Um, you know, and, and you see it a little bit from UCLA now because he's had to adapt, but you still don't see it obviously on the level that Oregon is because UCLA, you know, they're, they're recruiting a little better and, and decently, but, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about complete differences in programs and the way they're trending with regards to recruiting. So, uh, you know, I think that just his investment personally uh, into recruiting, into the recruiting department, into making sure the fans are aware of how important recruiting is and that, you know, maybe they're a little more active on social media, all those things. You know, the one of my favorite sayings is the devil is in the details, right? So you think, OK, Ari Cristobal showed up and did these two things and that's why recruiting is successful. And it's like, no, it's because. You know, he's got his coaches developing relationships with family, not just the recruits or with the coaches and the family. You know, just all these little details that we more than likely take for granted and think, oh, well, you know, it's Oregon. They've got Phil Knight money and Nike. It'll just recruit itself. That's not really the case. I mean, if that was the case, Mark Helfrich and Chip Kelly would have had, you know, top five, top 10 classes. And and ultimately uh, they didn't. You know, I know I know each of them had a good year, uh, but they're there's no way you can compare that recruiting to what we're seeing now with Cristobal. So, you know, again, I just think it's the emphasis emphasis that he's put on recruiting with his position coaches, with his coordinators, with the uh, off field guys, like the GAs uh, and the analysts, you know, everybody's involved. Uh, I think that's the second biggest component besides his relentless list, which I, I do believe bleeds out to the rest of the coaches. And they, you know, it, it's not like, Hey, look guys, I want you to work really hard. I'm going to go home and have dinner with my family. It's like, you know, I want you guys to work really hard and know that you're probably doing about 60% of what I'm doing as the head coach. And, and, you know, I think that those are the biggest differences there. 
So the 2021 class is already obviously making waves here during fall camp. I mean, every day we're hearing about different guys who are starting to step in and play with the twos, starting to step in and play with the ones even. I mean, obvious guys like Troy Franklin and Kingsley who have been here since since the you know the winter term and have gone through spring ball and, and made a name. But, you know, we're starting to hear other names now, guys like Maliki Matavau and Seven McGee's been getting a lot of praise lately. In your estimation, is this the year that the young guys start to truly overtake the more senior members of the team, but more than just in a situational standpoint, like 10 to 15 plays a game, but like really, is this the turning point where we're starting to see that the youth that's coming in as Mario has figured this program out and starting to really bring in these legit classes is this the time that those guys start overtaking those the, the people that have been here since 2017, 2018, and, and so on? Yeah, I think um, for me, the way I kind of view uh, this particular subject matter is, uh, you know, if you're more, and then we're just gonna we're just gonna pretend we're Mario Cristobal in the way we look at this thing, you know, when you when you get when you're I don't want to say when you're, I don't want to say that you're given the job, but when the current players on the team help you get the job that you got becoming head coach, there's certainly a allegiance there. You know, those guys went to bat for you with Rob Mullins. I think you want to pay that back. And, you know, and we can go with, you know, guys like Throck Morton and die and some of the guys that were there and really were vocal about Mario Cristobal being the head coach. I think there's a really strong allegiance, obviously, to my point, we're getting away from, from those guys and we're getting away from those guys that were uh, performing at a pretty high level because they were, you know, at least three years in the program, more than likely closer to four or even fifth year guys that, you know, uh, you know, developed and became pretty good players for the ducks. Uh, you see a difference. Now you could see a change. You bring a guy in like Panay Sewell, he plays two years. He's a top five NFL draft pick. You bring in a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, and in, you know, essentially for me, he's played a year and a half of football and that's being fairly kind. He's a, you know, possibly the top number one NFL draft pick. You're, you're seeing that change. So to me, it kind of started out almost like, we'll just say like 95%, 5%. So the 5% are the newcomers that are getting what you, you know, what you say, kind of more of that important role playing football, getting more time out there. It was 5%. And then I think, you know, uh, a year later, year and a half later, you know, that number crept up like to, we'll just say 20%. You had, you brought in a couple, a, a class or two of your guys that you recruited, had a little more trust in them. They fit what you're trying to do. You played them a little bit more, a little bit earlier. And now you've, you know, you're, you're three, four classes into this. And let's be real, this 2021 class is special. I mean, the 2020 class was great, but this is a whole step above you know, now you're really, to me, kind of seeing that pendulum continue to swing, you know, when we were at 90, you know, 95, you know, to 5% early on, you know, you got that 5% up to 20. I think you're, you know, getting that 5% originally up to more like 30, 40, 50% now that, you know, like you said, to your point, ultimately, these guys are so good, you can't keep them off the field. I mean, sure, they might be true freshmen, they might have only, you know, been here for the for the summer and these fall practices, but when the talent's there, you got to play him. So I, I think wholeheartedly we're seeing uh, a fairly, I can't say it this way. It certainly looks like there's a bit of a quarterback competition. I mean, I, I know there's not, he's 
come out and said Anthony Brown's the guy, but Ty Thompson certainly making his case. Like you said, Seven McGee, that's a guy that looks like he's probably going to play some some pretty real football for Oregon this year because his speed is something Oregon doesn't have out there in abundance. Um, like you mentioned, Troy Franklin, he's a five-star for a reason. That kid's coming onto campus very well polished and ready to play. So um, expectations were high for Justin Flo, much the same way that Noah Sewell. Uh, Flo got injured. Sewell was able to play. You saw him you know, start and play in a really weird year last year. So you know, to your point, to my point, yeah, I think it's trending that direction. I, I think it was a very small window at first, and I think we've seen it continuously get bigger. I think next year it's going to be, you know, you're going to be talking about that numbers like 75% for the newcomers and 25% for the returners, uh, maybe excluding the 2021 signees if you're counting returners. Yeah, you, you brought him up, and he, he's clearly the, the topic on people's minds now, and that's Ty Thompson. And, you know, it really seems like lately Cristobal is starting to leave some breadcrumbs for us as media and fans. And really over the last 10 days, the tone surrounding the entire quarterback situation has shifted. And it's starting to become more evident that, you know, we've now gone through two scrimmages, and, you know, it sounded like Anthony Brown did a lot better uh, this past Saturday in the second scrimmage. But it really is starting to feel like, they're laying the groundwork for at some point during the season, Ty Thompson taking over the position. Now, whether that's week one, week two, week five, we don't know. But it really seems like with the amount of, you know, the amount of talent this team has and the schedule it has, you know, it's probably not ideal that he's the starter in 2021 unless he's just that much better. But it really seems like that's where we're headed. So in your estimation, is Mario messing with us in the way that he's portraying Ty recently, or is there real validity to this? You know, I think if you haven't been paying attention by now uh, and haven't really caught on to the fact that Cristobal does a really good job um, keeping some things close to the vest, but also, like you said, leaving breadcrumbs, leaving hints here and there, maybe about what he's thinking or what he's feeling. I'll say this and, 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 and it's, partially in my feeling and partially just kind of what I continue to hear. I think Anthony Brown is undoubtedly quarterback one as you enter the season. I, I believe that for, for two reasons, I think because of his experience. Uh, and I, I believe that because I do think that when you head to Columbus the second week, it's really dangerous trusting that kind of a game to a true freshman. Again, Ty Thompson, I think his ceiling is incredibly high. He's the quarterback of the future. I don't debate those points at all. And I think he's going to be a really good one, but let's not kid ourselves. Sending a true freshman out to Columbus week two in his first season is dangerous, really dangerous. Uh, I, you don't see Nick Saban do it often, um, but it can happen. I, I think this, I think Mario Cristobal remains committed to Anthony Brown being quarterback one. I don't believe he has a short leash, but I do believe maybe that leash is a little bit shorter than it was a week or two ago, if that makes sense. It, by no means is it, hey, we're, you know, we're, we got our finger on the button. We're going to tap in Ty Thompson. I don't think that's the case, but I think that that leash continues to get shorter and shorter as Ty Thompson progresses. Secondly, I think that in large part, I think this is Mario Cristobal posturing towards the future, and that is Ty Thompson, basically getting his confidence up, really hammering home, that, hey, look, you know, you might not be the starter this year, but just sit your one year and you're the guy. And that's important in, with this transfer portal 
uh, you know, I think that it's really important that you that you kind of have to play that game a little bit. Um, it might not be fair. You might not like it. But I think that Mario Cristobal is very well aware of it. I think your absolute worst case scenario, if you're Oregon, and don't get me wrong, I like Jay Butterfield, uh, you know, pretty. I like uh, Robbie Ashford. Uh, you know, I know they got Tanner Bailey coming in. But your absolute worst case scenario right now is that you're going to get this last year out of Anthony Brown. And for whatever whatever reason, Ty Thompson leaves your program between now and next spring. That's disastrous. So you, if you're Mario Cristobal, you're pretty much doing everything you can to ensure that that doesn't happen. I think that that's a big part of, of what we're hearing and seeing right now. So this is Mario's now his fourth season, heading into his fourth season as the coach on paper but in reality, it, it's the third year that he's had the luxury of a full offseason. So realistically, from your standpoint, what should fans' expectations be for not only this season, but when do you think that championship window becomes realistic? Because they're headed there. There's, there's no denying that the way he's building the program from the inside out, they're going to get to that point It's you know eventually. But for you, when does that start to happen? Yeah. Those are great questions. Um, I also would like to point out that, yeah, you, you can attribute him to, to, we'll just call it three years on the job, but we as, we as uh, fans and, and, and even media have got to remember, you really got to throw that last season out because it was just kind of an aberration of a year. You know, you didn't get a spring camp. Uh, you had a bunch of younger guys come in and conceivably, you know, kind of begin a fall camp but not really. And then, you know what I mean? Just, it was, so you take a year away. I, I guess I, I see this look, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of Mario Cristobal. I know that there are still people out there that have, uh, you know, kind of their objections or concerns over what he's doing. Um, it, something I alluded to earlier, I think coaches, I think, excuse me, I think colleges are acting a little bit too quickly when they're making hires and fires, you know, you, you, you got a guy that you haven't had for, for as long as you should. And, you know, things get a little rocky. You make a move. Okay. Oregon in my mind really can only make a move at this point. If you're sh absolutely surefire going to upgrade and you already know who the next guy is. And right now I don't even know who that would be from a realistic standpoint, unless Nick Saban standing outside your door or Dabo Swinney, or Ryan Day standing outside your door begging for the job. I don't know where you move on. So I, I think this, as far as Mario Cristobal goes, he does have improvements to make. There are adjustments to his coaching style that he does need to make. But everything that Mario Cristobal has done to this point has shown us that he has no problem making adjustments or learning from mistakes. And he's going to make mistakes because he's still a relatively young head coach as far as experience goes. As long as he continues to fix those mistakes, as long as he continues to recruit at an elite level like he is, as long as he continues to build out this program in the way he is, I think fans need to temper expectations a little bit. If 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 your benchmark is that, hey, it's been four or five years, Mario Cristobal hasn't won a national championship, while that could totally happen, that can't be the benchmark. Like, I mean, I, I guess it can be, but if it is and you're in year five and he hasn't won a national championship, but he's winning the Pac-12 fairly consistently and, and getting to pretty elite bowl games, okay, then 
does the next move improve on that? Because that's really important because the next move more than likely, although he'll have some talent, those aren't his guys. He might need a couple of years to rebuild and make things the way he wants it done. And then you're behind the eight ball again. So I think fans need to stay patient. I do think there are areas Mario Cristobal can improve and likely will improve. I believe I don't, I feel bad saying this. I don't believe that this is a national championship for year for Oregon. I think they're going to be very good. I do believe they should win the Pac-12. I do believe that they'll more than likely play in a pretty good New Year's Six bowl game. That's kind of where I think this season goes for Oregon. A good year, maybe a loss, maybe two losses, uh, you know, three. I don't know. It's a tough schedule. But I do believe that. Ty Thompson will be the next quarterback at Oregon. I think he's going to be excellent. Of course, Kayvon Thibodeau and Mikel Wright will more than likely be gone after this season, I presume. And, you know, then you're moving forward with this recruiting class that signed in 2020. That was really good. 2021 and this 2022 class is certainly already off the charts and looks like it's only going up from here. So I would say after this season, your next two years, I believe, will be competing for a national championship. Of course, that's going to depend on Ty Thompson and some of those other elements. But I think the next two years, you're competing for a national championship if you're Oregon and if the don- dominoes continue to fall the right direction. And I think this, I think Anthony Brown doesn't need to be Marcus Mariota or Ty Thompson. He, Anthony Brown has arguably the most weapons on offense that Mariota or Justin Herbert has had in the last, what do you want to say, six, seven years, eight years? I mean, he has some really good looking tight ends. He has a serviceable offensive line that has a lot of room to improve. And he has tremendous wide receivers and experienced and very dynamic running backs. Anthony Brown's job is simply to trust those guys, get the ball out, not make mistakes. He does not have to be a Heisman caliber quarterback for this team to win. He just needs to limit mistakes and be consistent, and this team can win. Ty Thompson, on the other hand, can be a Heisman caliber quarterback and have all the weapons to boot. So that's what you have to look forward to, in my opinion. Well, as I said when he came on, he is the proprietor of all things Scoop Duck. He's the the voice of reason in uh, these petty duck husky beefs that are starting to pop up on Twitter everywhere. And uh, he's one of the nicest and most plugged-in people in the media landscape that you'll meet. And uh, he's my boss at Scoop Duck, like I mentioned, one of the uh, the, the great voices in Oregon football right now and, and someone that you really should rely on if you're looking to get the inside information. Justin, thank you for joining me today on the initial episode and probably going to ask you to come on again, which I, we hope you will. Oh, anytime, man. We, uh, we, de- we definitely appreciate your work. You're one hell of a writer, and I'm glad to support you on this venture. And uh, hope, hope to see this thing take off for you, Joel. All right. That's Justin Hopkins, scoopduck.com. Well, I uh, wanted to thank you for joining me today on the initial, the inaugural episode, I guess, of the Believe in Oregon Football podcast. As I mentioned, every Monday and Thursday here on the Believe Podcast Network, come join us. We're going to have a lot of fun throughout the season. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting season. That's that. There's no way around it. And this is probably, uh, if you're looking at the trajectory of the program, one of the biggest years that Oregon's had in a very long time, going back before even the the Helfrich and Chip eras. I mean, this this is really 
a time when Oregon can start to make a name for themselves again amongst the Blue Bloods. And uh, we're going to be here twice a week, all throughout the season. If there's breaking news, we'll certainly jump in as well uh, to do that. And uh, a lot of fun work to be had. A lot of great guests lined up, former players, also uh, current parents of players on the team who really bring an interesting perspective on what's going on inside the program. Uh, they, they, you know, they know the coaching staff as well as anybody because they, they have a, a direct line and they know exactly what's going on. So it'd be fun to bring them on. Uh, great analysts from, from all over, uh, Scoop Duck as well, but also uh, really interesting people that have covered the team, covered the sport of football, and, and know what they're talking about to come on and, and really give us an insight as to what's happening between Oregon and their opponents. So I want to thank my engineer, Brian, who I'm guessing does a little shudder every time he sees my email address pop up because uh, as the show has been going on, I've been emailing him quite a bit for questions on on engineering and how to make this sound decent enough. And and uh, he's been phenomenal. And I, I can't thank him enough for helping get this show off off the ground. And, and my producer, Joe, who's been uh, just as valuable in, in helping get everything going and helping set up guests and, and everybody at the Believe Podcast Network for giving me a shot. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun and hopefully they don't regret their decision. I, I don't think they will, but we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. So again, this is Joel Gunderson, the Believe in Oregon Football Podcast. And I'd like to remind you, as I like to do every single day, this one final thing. It never rains in Hudson Stadium. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.